Have you ever met someone who was incredibly gifted? It is as if the heavens smiled upon them. Their smile, their easy conversation, their skill in music or sport. Everywhere they go, it is as if they walk in a spotlight of grace. Yet, as their life unfolds, a dark, sinister side heads up, destroying them. In drama, this turns a comedy into a tragedy, and when it happens to one of your children, you never recover completely. This is Truth Encounter, a program committed to challenging you to go ahead and ask Jesus Christ the hard questions. We are continuing our study through the book of Revelation, and in today's lesson, we turn to chapter 22. Have you ever heard the expression, and a river runs through it? This was the title of a beautiful movie directed by Robert Redford, set in a heavenly river valley in Montana. Our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, often teaches at a camp nestled in the heart of this Montana high country. Let's join Dave and discover how this heavenly scene was attacked by hell and in the process discover the true meaning of a river runs through it. A couple summers ago, Mary and I had the privilege of speaking at Clydehurst Ranch. It's a kind of a Christian conference ground, and it's right in the Boulder Valley. You go up to the, the Beartooth Range of Montana, these beautiful 12,000-foot mountains, and buried in the middle of one of those valleys was this beautiful ranch. And it's committed to all during the summer ministry. It's committed to family weeks and people come with their kids and they get to go horseback riding and they get to go river rafting and all kinds of things. And it's right in the valley where the Boulder River runs through it. One night as I was teaching, I noticed that there were about five or six guys that had been at every one of the meetings. They were Montana guys. And I noticed that at one of the meetings that they weren't there. They just weren't at the meeting. So the next morning I asked them and I said, hey, where in the world were you guys? And they said, well, we hate to tell you this, Dave, but the really best trout fishing is right when you're speaking from 7 o'clock till 8.30 when the sun goes down over the mountain and before it gets really dark. And, you know, we've been feasting on the word of God, but we thought that the Lord would give us a break and let us have a good time. So they went right out in the river. In fact, I could actually stand in where I was teaching and throw a rock right into the Boulder River, right where Brad Pitt in the river runs through it, caught that great big trout and that incredible, wondrous experience of fly fly fishing up there in Montana. The story of the river runs through it is a story of two brothers. Uh, It's a story of Norman and Paul McLean. Their dad is a pastor like me. He's a Presbyterian Scottish minister, and he's laboring up there in the 1920s up in Montana. And like a lot of preachers' boys, I mean, the boys get into some trouble. They they ride this boat down through this horrendous uh, gorge and just about kill themselves, and they do all the things that preachers' boys can do. And as as my boys grow older, they tell me all the horror stories of what they did. But Norman is like his dad. He's intellectual. He goes away to college, and he gets educated, and he comes back, and he comes back to Montana, and he wants to be an English teacher. Paul, his brother, never leaves Montana. He wants to become a reporter, and he gets working for one of the, one of the smaller newspapers in the area, and he, and he just really loves to fly fish, and he loves Montana, and he never wants to leave it. And what the river runs through it becomes is the story of these two brothers, a Cain and an Abel. 
One is a really good son and a son that does what his dad wants and lives up to his dad's expectations. The other one is really gifted because when it comes to fly fishing, Paul, the younger brother, is the one that can really do it. He's been gifted by God. He has incredible ability. And when you watch him work in the stream and you see the sun shining on the water and you watch him tie in one of those really big trout, you just know that, man, he was, he was just made. There was a, there's some kind of an incredible gift that was given to him. He's the brother that is easy with people, and he's the brother that has a magnetic personality, and Brad Pitt plays this young Paul McLean, and in all the charisma that Brad Pitt has. But there's a dark side. You see, he starts getting involved in the gambling, the dark side of the gambling industry in Montana. He starts mounting up debts. He starts building enemies. His drinking gets really heavy. And at the crisis of the story, the river runs through it. Paul is murdered there in Montana. And what struck me as I watched the film is that here's one of the most beautiful spots in all the universe. Here is one of the prettiest places that you could ever go. In fact, I can't think of of a more beautiful setting than in my own life when I've walked out into, not the Boulder Creek, but one of the creeks just a little bit down the way from there, into Rock Creek, all by myself on a Montana afternoon. And the sun's shining down through 10,000-foot mountains on both sides of you. These incredible, beautiful trees are swaying. You look at the sunlight just coming off the river. And it just flashes as clear as crystal and the, the white foam. And you, and you start working that stream. And the thing I love about that is whether you catch anything or not doesn't make any difference at all. Because just the incredible experience of seeing that beauty and, and seeing that life is worth everything. In fact, there's a lot of people that go up there and they feel like this is where I'm going to find eternity. It's amazing. I find as I go to national parks and some of the most beautiful places in the world, you find out that there's a lot of people that are there that are seeking to find the ultimate answer. They're seeking to find the spiritual answers to life. What struck me about the river runs through it is here was a boy that was raised in that what you might call a Garden of Eden. And he was raised doing all those things a lot of us try to do on our vacation. But it wasn't enough. And a river runs through it, it raised this really big issue. Why is it that a person that was given so much grace, why would they just throw it away? And why in the midst of this beautiful Montana countryside, why are there places like Lobo where you have the dark side and why is there drunkenness and why is there murder and why is a young man's life cut short? And is there any answer? And that's why the film was titled A River Runs Through It. The way Robert Redford made the film, you, you have the idea that nature and the perpetual changing of the stream will ultimately give meaning to it. But Paul and Norm's father was a Presbyterian minister. And I think that he knew, he knew what you're going to find out today. That the idea of a river running through it is the ultimate promise from the living God. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 22. We want to find out where did this little phrase, a river runs through it, where does that come from and what is it all about? In Revelation chapter 22, we're getting a vision of the inside of the holy city. The Apostle John has been stretching language, trying to give us a vision of the celestial city and he's trying to help us to be able to know what our eternal home is going to be like. 
we studied how he described the walls of the city being made out of precious gems, diamonds and jaspers and barrels and, and chrysolites and all different kinds of precious stones and all the color of the rainbow. We talked about the incredible dimension of the city going from New York to Houston. Just one wall of the city is 1,400, 1,500 miles long. And it goes 1,500 miles up into the air. It's a perfect square, a perfect holy of holies. But when you get inside the city, like I described to you, how when you're living in New Jersey and you look across to New York, New York looks beautiful, especially at night with all the lights. But to be honest with you, as I grew up in, in, in the New York City area and I really got to know what New York City was like, there's a dark side to New York and there's a dirty side in New York and there's, there's whole areas where it looks like they were bombed during World War II with empty buildings and, and glass that's broken and it's too dangerous to go in there at night. And that's the reality of our cities. They look beautiful on the outside, but when you get within them, you find out that they can be very dangerous places and places of great sadness. And whether you're in Montana going to a, a gambling casino in Lobo or whether you're in New York City and, and getting to the dark side of the city, you find out that, man, the cities of this earth, the babblings of this earth look really good on the outside, but when you get within them, they suck the life out of you. They destroy you. And that's why in our culture, a lot of us go when we're young, we want to go to the city and we want to find out where the action is. We want to see where the lights are. And sometimes we go into those cities and we get away from the living God and we don't allow the Spirit to fall fresh in us and we do a lot of things that we shouldn't do, looking for light. That's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to find that refreshing drink. We're trying to find that satisfaction. And we do it in our culture in the cities. But then usually we get burnt. Usually we come up thirsty and we don't really find the answer. And then we tend to move back to the country again. So you get this push and pull back and forth. Go to the city, come back to the country. And you're trying to create your little garden of eating. You're trying to have your little stream running through it. And you're trying to, you know, be protected from people. Because that's a yearning in our heart. It's a yearning in our heart that somewhere there's got to be a place that's going to really satisfy my needs. Well, I want to let you in on a very important reality. Here in this life, you're never going to find the perfect home. Here in this life, you're never going to find the perfect place to live. Here in this life, you're never going to find the perfect stream that will totally satisfy your life. But I want you to use the moments in life when you are trout fishing to see the beauty of a Montana stream. I want you to know that that's not the ultimate place for you, but it is God shouting at you, I've got an incredible home for you coming in the future. God wants these moments in life where we see beauty, where we see hope, to push us towards the promise of what we're looking at in Revelation 22. Because an incredible thing happens in Revelation 21 and 22. As God shows us the vision of the celestial city, we find out that ultimately we're going to live in a place where we have all the togetherness, all the community, all the people time of a big city. All that incredible excitement of a big city, but we're also going to combine with it all the wondrous beauty of the countryside. You see, the ultimate eternal home, the ultimate eternal city is this gigantic city with millions upon millions of redeemed people are going to be there. But I want you to also see it's going to be like living in the most beautiful Montana Valley you can ever imagine. Say, Dave, where do you get that? Look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. And let's focus, first of all, on this river that runs through it. The angel showed me the river of the water of life. 
It was as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. It tells us that down at the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The first thing I want you to see is that the river of life flows from the throne of God. Remember, we were learning that this is holy, sacred cartooning. And I really believe that there's going to be a real city. I believe there's going to be real rivers. And, but I think it's going to be in a dimension that we can't even imagine. And I also believe that John also has, wants us to understand that there's very powerful symbolism that's being portrayed here as well. You see, all the way through the, the word of God, the idea of a refreshing drink of water is a symbol of the satisfaction and the joy and the meaning that only God can give to you. In fact, in the culture that these books were written in, they didn't turn on taps and get cold water. They couldn't go down to a, in the hallway of any of their places of business and have an ice-cold drink of water. You see, they had to sometimes go many hours without getting a drink of water. And then they had to, had to go to a well and, and be able to go very deep into the well. Or they had to travel up north in Israel and get up into the, the Galilee regions where there would be mountain streams where they could drink. If they were living down in Beersheba, way down in the southern part of Israel, they'd have to go way up to the north. You see, these people would understand. They lived in a world, for example, where in Egypt, one of the major cultures of the ancient world, the whole country of Egypt in the ancient world was the breadbasket of Rome. It's hard to imagine that today. But a river ran through it. When you're in Egypt, even today, when you fly over Egypt, like fly over Cairo, there's this beautiful strip of green right along the, the Nile River. But when you get away from the Nile River, it's the Sahara. There's no life. Everything is dead. The same thing is true up in Mesopotamia. You have Saudi Arabia and the desert, this incredible desert. But when you get up to the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers, suddenly there's these beautiful valleys and the river runs through it. And that's where all these big cities were built. Babylon was built between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. And they even diverted streams so that they would flow right through the city. What John is telling the first century Christians, what he's telling us, is that there's an ultimate river that runs through God's city. And this is the ultimate Montana stream. This is the ultimate place of beauty. This is, it said it's clear as crystal. So you want, when you look at a stream and see the sun dancing off that stream and see that incredible, incredible beauty and the splendor of that crystal-like appearance, you want to be reminded, man, I'm going to be enjoying something that's that beautiful multiplied a million, million times. That's what John is telling us. And I want you to see that he says that this river of life, this river of life flows from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Look what it says. It's clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. What John is telling us is if you really want to find a life that will be refreshing forever. If you really want to find meaning and joy and, and purpose in your life, you're going to have to come to the throne of God and to the Lamb. I want you to see how the Lamb of God is put on exactly the same level as God the Father. It's why we know that we worship him like we've sung to Jesus today. And some of your friends will say, I don't really believe that Jesus is God. Well, I want you to see right here in the book of Revelation, John the Apostle believes that Jesus is God because he can say, this is the throne of God 
and of the Lamb of God, and they're put equally on the throne. They are both equal in their identity. Very important idea. And what it means for us today is that, we, that the only place that we can find this fountain of refreshing, bubbling water is going to be by coming to the throne of God and to the Lamb of God. And the idea of the phrase, the Lamb of God, reminds us of the imagery that Jesus is the one that died on the cross for our sins. Jesus is the one that rose again. And that's the living water. Jesus Christ in John chapter 7 stood up at the feast of Hanukkah and he shouted forth, he shouted forth, I am the living water. The one that comes to me, the one that comes to me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He told the woman at Samaria, she drank from his fountain, she would never, never thirst again. One of the things that we need to realize today is that everybody that we meet is thirsty. They're thirsty for something. They're not really satisfied. Every one of you are hungering and thirsting after something and someone. And what the book of Revelation is telling us, he's telling us the truth, that the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate fulfillment of our needs is going to become when we go to the throne of God, which is what we always run away from. It's when we go to the throne of God. We go to the throne of the Lamb of God. And because the Lamb of God is there, the throne of God is no longer a place of guilt, a place of judgment, a place where we're going to face eternal punishment. If we've trusted what the Lamb of God has done for us, then that throne of God becomes the place of our family relationship. It becomes, becomes the center of the God that we worship. And the river of life is going to flow through our lives forever and ever and ever. And we're going to be experiencing a beautiful place called heaven that will last forever and ever and ever. There's something else that's going to be inside this city. So in this beautiful metropolitan city, there's going to be this river of life, which is a symbolic presentation of the Lord God and of the Lamb that was slain and of Jesus being the living water. But I also believe that there's, there's going to be something even more beautiful than, than any stream that we've ever seen. It's going to be more life-giving than any stream that we've ever seen. The second thing I want you to see is that there's a tree of life. The tree of life is what brings healing to the nations. Look what it says. It says, On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Mary and I have plum trees. Ed Wilson gave us some of his plum trees when they were little bitty ones coming up in their yard, and they now become big plum trees. And, and they produce a ton of plums, really good for making jelly. But you know, right now, those plum trees look dead. How many of you have looked at your fruit trees lately and you notice that they look like they're half dead, right? Why? Because it's this time of the year. We're into the late you know, it's through the summer, that blistering 100-degree Texas heat. And man, if I didn't know better, I would swear that my fruit trees are dead. In fact, right after they produce all those plums, right after they do that, their leaves turn kind of yellowish weird, and then a lot of times the leaves will even fall off. They look half dead. You ever notice that with your fruit trees? In other words, our fruit trees now will go into the winter, and man, you'll have to prune them back, and, and they'll just look like ugly, dead hunks of wood. But in the springtime, they'll explode again. And that's the rhythm of the seasons. But what God is telling us is that ultimately, you're going to live in a land where the fruit trees will produce fruit constantly. Twelve months a year is the imagery that's used. In other words, you're going to live in a land where the trees don't have to go into a dormant phase. And it, you don't have the coldness of winter where it looks like everything dies. 
You're going to have a perpetual springtime. That's the picture that's here. How many of you have ever gone to Hawaii? How many have ever wanted to go to Hawaii? Anybody wanted to go to Hawaii? What about Cancun and Jamaica and places like that? Why in the world? I, you know, I have never, never, never seen a, a big advertisement that you need to go to Antarctica you know, for a vacation. We don't want to go places. Why do we want? We want to go to islands that are like gardens that are green forever and ever and ever. The thing that makes Hawaii so incredible is that any season of the year, it's green there, and the flowers are blooming, and the fruit is being produced. And why do we do that? Because God, the eternal God, if you don't believe that there really is a spiritual dimension, if you don't believe what John the Apostle is talking about, just think of it. You live in a culture that just runs like everything to be able to get to a place that's like a perpetual garden. Why do we do that? Because the Lord God put in our soul that we should live in a beautiful, verdant place, in a place that's alive, in a place that produces fruit. And the natural world that you're living in right now, the natural world that you're living in now gives you little glimpses of that, but there's a real problem with the present universe. In other words, I talk to friends that are up there in Montana, worshiping the Montana beauty and the beauty of nature. But the reality of the matter is that I have friends that are really Montana people and, you know, people that are pastoring churches up there and people just like you that are going to church. And the truth of the matter is Montana is not a pristine, beautiful, holy place. Man, it's a struggle. It's hard. And in fact, right now, a whole bunch of my friends that wanted to go camping out in Montana weren't able to go there because of the fires all over the western part of the state. I want you to think hard because some of you are going to be tempted. We live in a culture where nature worship is coming up and raising its head in a very powerful way. Disney loves to try to pull you into kind of worshiping nature. You need to look at nature as being part of the book, part of the book of Revelation that the real God is giving you. But you need to read it carefully. Because right now, as you look at God's revelation in nature, you see little glimpses of the way that things should be. So when the sunlight hits a beautiful Montana Creek, you capture a little vision of the beauty. When you see a beautiful sunset going down over Big Bend, you get some of the beauty of what eternity is going to be. But also, you'll suddenly go to an area that used to be beautiful, and now it's completely burned out. And all the trees are turned to charcoal. And everything that was alive is dead. And you find out that, man, there's another twist in nature right now. And there's a horror in nature. And there's a deadly violence in nature. Like I have a sweet little pussycat. And, and my sweet little pussycat is nicknamed Fluffy. And, and you can pet her and everything else. But, man, the last two days, she brings beautiful birds that are just a pile of feathers up on my back doorway. And she just tears them to smithereens. They are just a pile. Just the head is there. I could make a horror movie out of what my cat does to birds. <laughs> so if you want to worship nature, if you want to worship nature, you need to be careful what you're really going to worship. Because what the Bible says is, yeah, there's a beauty in nature and God's handiwork is in nature, but we live in a cursed world. And that's why there's sickness, and that's why there's death, and that's why there's that ugly violence. And yet, like when I talked about the forest fires of Montana, when you go back in the springtime, 
the wildfire that will come out and what God is telling you that in the midst of the curse, there can still be redemptive life. And what all of nature is really crying out to us is saying, it's not the way it ought to be here yet. And there's a lot of things that are still under that need healing. And what John the Apostle wants you to know is that ultimately you're going to be in a place where there's healing forever. The idea of the nations being able to come to be healed is not that they're going to need to come and eat of this tree forever and ever and ever to keep disease away from them. But it's a symbol of, man, there's total healing because everyone is healed forever and you're living in this perfect paradise. I want you to see that it says that these trees are for the healing of the nations. I want to talk to you about something really important. Because we're going to be tempted to feel, as we, as we get involved in various causes, we can sometimes feel like, what's the greatest thing that we can do for the world? What's the greatest thing we can do to help people out? If you're a committed Bible-believing person, then what you understand is the greatest thing you can do for the nations is to bring the person of the living God, to bring Jesus into their lives. Why do we need to bring Jesus into the lives of others throughout the world? Because there is no other Savior who has ever done battle with the forces of hell and death and come out of it alive. Jesus is the resurrected Savior, and this is why he can deliver on his promise to take us to live one day in a garden paradise. Surrender to his love today, and the promises of a new Jerusalem will belong to you. Be sure to listen to our next encounter with the truth. For the conclusion of this study, a river runs through it.